Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, Deep State Radio listeners. We wanted to let you know that our newest podcast, the Ukraine Daily Brief, is now the DSR Daily Brief. Each morning, Grant Haver and Chris Kotnor will bring you the top stories from the war in Ukraine, plus all the top foreign policy stories from around the world in under 10 minutes a day. Additionally, members receive an evening DSR Daily Brief newsletter with updates from earlier stories, plus any new developments occurring throughout the day. To become a member, visit bit.ly slash dsrmember and enter code APRIL2022 to receive these and other member benefits including bonus content for all of our shows, access to our member Slack community, and more. The DSR Daily Brief is available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you today from Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they pretend it's springtime, but it is not. It is cold here. and feels like winter to me, and I'm getting out of here just as soon as we're done. I am going to be joined here today by Wajahat Ali, who's a columnist at the Daily Beast, which is, you know, there's no better title than that, as we know, and a senior fellow at the Western State Center in Auburn Seminary. Hey, how you doing? Doing really well. I have springtime here. I have summer. I have really fancy flowers that I can't name, but they're pretty. So I, I, I do not empathize with you, and I wish you good luck Thank in you. sunshine. Thank you. You do not empathize. We'll be joined a little bit by Kavita Patel, who we always have with us on Thursdays, who is the Obama administration's director of policy in the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs and Public Engagement at the White House, and who's a practicing physician. But we're going to dive right in. By the way, I just before we even get into the substance of the conversation, I have saved a lot of time over the past couple of years not watching basketball games and just watching your Twitter takes on the games. And then when it goes like, you know, this is a nail biter or why are they doing this to me? Or, oh my God, Steph Curry. Then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'll tune in and watch. So I want to congratulate you on your victory last night. I, I yeah, Thank you so much. My team, the Warriors in a nail biter beat Denver uh, in a game they should have actually closed off much early, but uh, it was due to me and my tweets, David. Correct. It was due to me and my tweets and and my uh, endless pacing around my room, which is why Steph Curry took over the game in the final three minutes and sealed the deal. I'm also appreciated that I also filter out the unnecessary parts of the game for you, and you have to realize, oh, something interesting is happening. Nobody that, should. That ever way you watch. can write all the articles. See, that's, that's why that allows you to write the articles and read all the books and, and come out with the good comments. Exactly. That's it. But let me tell you something. I've learned some things. I'm older than you. There is no reason to watch the first half of a basketball game. Ever. True. True. It's just like, why am I here? 
let let me know what kind of game this is. I'll join you in the like last quarter. It's like the nerds who uh, show up early to a party and then you get to a certain age and you're like, no one shows up at six. You got to show up at seven. Right. Well, you don't even want to be there with the people who show up at six. Yeah. You want to get there as long as there's a cheese that you can eat that gives you uh, lactose intolerance, but at least it's tasty. At least come for the cheese. Why would you want to be be there there. before the cheese? While there's food, but while there's also decent people there. All right. So one of the things I wanted to talk about here, and I really wanted to turn to you because, you know, you offer these kind of cut through the bullshit takes has to do with Elon Musk. You know, there were a lot of views out there on on his decision to buy Twitter, by the way, at a ridiculously high price. I mean, $44 billion. Right. For a company that did $1.2 billion in quarterly earnings. So it does about $4 billion a year. So this company is selling at like 10, 11 times sales, not earnings. It's like, what the hell? Nobody even knows if it's really a business. So perhaps that's not really his motive. In any event, this guy took it over. And, you know, there's a question looming in the minds of a lot of people, which is whether he's a rich douchebag and just that, or whether there's something more malevolent going on. I have my own views. Hey, Kavita, nice of you to join. I, I, I only joined because of who your guest is, because I have a, a distant uh I have a distant non-sexual crush on him. So oh, it's a, nice. Wow. I'm so honored. You have yeah. Such, yeah. Such no, 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 you should. I mean, and, and so I'm, I was actually not going to show up, David. And then when they told me who you're to our yeah. guest, I was, was like, oh, wait. If I, it was just, just going to be me was, or you wouldn't have been. Thanks. His book, I have to say, so I, I know David's going to kill me. I can't recommend highly enough, not just his writings, but go back to where you came from because it affirms so many of my personal experiences growing up in childhood. (laughs) I'll just sit back here. Go on. No, he's an incredibly compelling. And since I'm, I'm, I don't think he knows this, but uh, I know his wife is this incredibly brilliant uh, physician in DC where I also practice and their daughter's kind of tale. I actually went to try to see if I would potentially be a donor. Oh, thank you so much. He had this incredible story about dealing with the healthcare system and dealing with his daughter's illness, which we don't have to get into. But I think he reflects so much of what I would say is like this modern American sentiment, but also what gets suppressed because as you're a first or second generation, fill in the blank, you are kind of taught to suppress a lot of these like opinions and attitudes. And he's a major basketball fan. I'm a Spurs fan, so I won't hold it against you. That Kavita, you your, like check, it, your check so. is in the mail. You've My done che- your no, job. He's, he's, I can't stress I, enough how important... Um, for, not just for anybody who has kind of had similar cultural experiences, but he's just a brilliant writer on par with a David Rothkopf kind of writing, but just brilliant. So I, I'm, I'm honored. I'm not good with compliments. I was not expecting this. Thank you so I much. Know, I, 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 I only, I only said yes because I'm like, Oh, they have a smart South Asian in Kavita. So I can <laughs> like our, our people won't be shamed. Like I'm like, Grant, your producer is like, I, I can't take a risk. We got to, you know, if I bring in Waj, so let's bring in Kavita. So Kavita is like the good South Asian who will make our people look good. Yeah, because there's so few smart South Asians, right? <laughs> we're we're yeah, a very because that's such a rare breed. <laughs> yeah, an endangered species. Sorry, David. We we. Uh, no, no, that's okay. That's I agree. I like know. democracy and freedom, right? I mean, look, I no. Well, we'll get to that. But I have to say, I you know, I hate to agree with you, and I hate to make him feel better. But you're absolutely right on all points. <laughs> 
anyway, I was just starting out with the Elon Musk thing, and I just asked a question about Elon Musk because you know there are a variety of views, and I just wanted to know his. I, for one, welcome my douchebag tech overbros, uh, <laughs> overlord bros, who are invested in in space travel to take over. As you can clearly see, they're here to most likely conquer us, and I can rally up other humans as fodder for their new ongoing empire that is in reference to Ken Brockman from The Simpsons, for those who are old enough to get that reference. Uh, you know, I think he can be multiple. What do you mean things? old enough? You know, The Simpsons has been on for like 25 years nonstop. Everybody. Oh, more knows. than that. More Homer than that. Simpson's 35 yeah. years old. Yeah. I, I feel like Simpsons has called out so much in America that, you know, called yeah. Trump. They just have this very present type of uh, finger on the pulse of America. But when it comes to people like Musk, your first question was, right, is he a douchebag? Is he an a-hole? Is he a malevolent force? I think he could be all of the above. He reminds me of what happens when like very insecure white men and online trolls get a lot of money. Like, why does God give people the wrong people money, right? So this is Elon Musk, a man of privilege, a man of wealth. He did not build himself up from anything. His parents, as you, for those of you who don't know, made their money in part from South African mines during apartheid. He used that money and that bully leverage to, to move up and get Tesla. He didn't create Tesla, right? He has four companies now. And if you look at his tweets and you look at his behavior and look at his character, David, he's one of those individuals. It seems like very clearly the spectacle for him is a trolling exercise. And he wants his part of the public square. I also feel, and the last thing I'll say is we could dive into this even more. I feel like back in the day, I'm old enough to remember when our billionaires used to just sail. I don't know if people realize they used to have these sailing competitions. So all the billionaires <laughs> had boats. Remember that, David? Is that like the Winklevi? Like, yeah, yeah. Kind of like yeah, the, okay. it, 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 right. Boats were the thing, right? Right. So now <laughs> boats were like very 20th century. So now they've gone onto space okay. and owning public squares. So like Bezos is like, you have a space shuttle. I have a space shuttle. I'm going to buy Washington Post. And Zuckerberg's like, I'm going to make Facebook into a marketplace and a news place. So these these Russian oligarchs, they're like just <laughs> behind the curve, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> Elon is like, I'll get Twitter. I'll get Twitter. So I think it's a pissing contest, mm -hmm. trolling, yeah. control. And it reminds me of those barons, those oil barons and railroad barons of the 19th century. And we're witnessing it now with the billionaires. Right. Who flexed it all by owning a railroad car. You know, yeah. that was that was that was that, that was, was your cool. flex back in the day. That was the flex. It's really surprising how many really powerful people are also gigantic douchebags. But Kavita, maybe you have a <laughs> I've had a different experience. I mean, it's I guess the Venn diagram of douchebags and billionaires definitely <laughs> yeah. overlaps. There's still a pretty big circle of pretty big denominator on the douchebags. But I I only want to make one small observation because I've spent so much time inside of hospitals and academia, where even though on the surface, we may despise billionaires and all that, we will do anything to name our hospitals, buildings, mm. medical schools. I mean, I went to the, you know, David Geffen Medical School of Medicine at UCLA, at Stanford, there's, you know, X, Y, and Z, Elon Musk, Gates, Allen, you know, you just walk the corridors. And so one of the things that I think is also lost upon people, it's not just the dominance of public spaces, but it's, the dominance of even, I, I would call it like kind of, it's what I would call indirect education <laughs> or indirect influence, because it's one mm -hmm. thing to buy Twitter. It's another to completely then subsidize part of the Stanford like education because he was an alumnus there, right? And, and then Zuckerberg with UCSF, with the children's hospital there. And it doesn't mean that it changes like what those doctors do or necessarily what those doctors, nurses, or even how patients act. But it is 
there's a reason people want their names on buildings. And it also creates so much of a us versus them, because it's one of the reasons when I go back home to Texas and talk to people who are just angry at Joe Biden, and they're just angry, they don't see Trump or the Republican Party as actually creating an easier path to billionaire status. They see Biden as actually holding them back from having not necessarily that degree of wealth, but from kind of keeping their hard-earned money. And I, it gets me, it just reminds me that Democrats get so lost sometimes the details of the policy that we're missing a little bit of the big picture. But anyway, you, just- you know, uh, No, no, I think those are really good observations. I would take the last one first before I turn back to watch. And that is that if my president, Elizabeth Warren, were president today, they would be in a different situation. Yeah. Because they would actually be paying their taxes. And I think you're sort of right about billionaires and buildings, except that there are three reasons that billionaires get buildings. One of them might actually be beneficence. They want to help people. I'm, I'm willing sure. to sure that's possible. Another one is kind of like carving your initials on a tree. It's yeah. like you walk through the forest, you carve your initials. It'll be there after you're gone. It's part of part of what they're doing. But the final thing is the same thing that the oligarchs do when they buy sports teams or when Gulf nations do when they host the World Cup. In sports, it's called sports washing and hospital. I don't know. Maybe it's called hospitals washing. But, you know, the idea is if I give a lot of money, people won't think I'm a douchebag. Or if I give a lot of yeah. money, people will look the other way at all the shitty things I did to get the money. Or the fact that I don't pay taxes. <laughs> right. Except except when it's the Koch brothers, when it's large executives funding, by the way, left, right and center think tanks. I mean, right. it, there's whether people want to like admit it or not, there's an implicit and kind of an ex explicit bias that occurs, David. And I, and I also think just to then take it further, obviously, I think probably all three of us would agree, reproductive rights, access to health services. These are all important fundamental principles. It wasn't lost on me that like, you know, we're trying to like get a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there to get vaccines in other countries and get vaccines for uninsured Americans in the United States. However, you know, Elon Musk coming along, it's not like he's saying, hey, 44 billion for Twitter and I'll throw in a kicker billion dollars for vaccines across the world. So there's a very clear, David, there's a very clear like kind of ego-driven decision in a lot of these areas. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's, it's absolutely awful. And it leads to a question back to watch. You know, I, I once wrote a book called Superclass and I looked at oh, yeah. the richest, most powerful people in the world. And, you know, they have a lot of things that people say about them that's really nice, like, hey, philanthropy. But of course, and, you know, these are the same people who say, hey, free markets, governments shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. Let's let the philanthropists do it. But of course, if the philanthropists decide what's valuable, it doesn't serve the public good. It serves them. And so it's not, you know, it's not bad if they do it. But, you know, and if my child's born at the Bernie Madoff neonatal care unit or whatever, I'm like, oh, OK, that's OK. I'm not going to remember that a long time anyway. But it's not a highly functional way for society to work. Mm -hmm. And a perfect example of that, Wash, is Elon Musk. He got into this exchange, I seem to recall, where people are like, you know, for $40 billion, you could end hunger or, you know, child tax could, credit, everything. Yeah. For, you everything. know, and, and he was like, oh, yeah, well, then I'll do that. Just show me how I can do it. And then, you know, he was like, you know, then two months later, people were like, OK, so we showed you. And he was like, yeah, no, I'm going to buy Twitter.
Yeah, I'm going to buy Twitter instead. I'm going to add an overvalued, ridiculous <laughs> price of $44 billion to, to flex my ego and, and control the narrative and push back against my enemies and critics. You know, what Kavita was saying, it's ego, right? You just think about like spoiled children. It's power, control, influence. So you mentioned carving the name on the tree. I'll take it a step further. It's, it's pissing like a lion. This is my territory. You have a sailboat. I have a bigger sailboat. You have a space rocket. I have a bigger phallus-shaped space rocket. That's going to penetrate the moon and impregnate it. Wow. (laughs) I'm just thinking like this. Like, probably that's how they think, right? You have a Washington Post. I have Twitter. And, and, you know, making that analogy to the 19th century railroad tycoons and oil tycoons, like William Hearst, look at Citizen Kane. It was based off of, you know, you're able to influence the narrative. You're able to punish your enemies. You're able to elevate your allies. It's kind of like the Venn diagram is everything. It's a circle where everything goes back to the you. What can I create? What can I influence? What can I control that will ultimately help me and my bottom line when it comes to my money, when it comes to my cultural affinities, my politics, right? That's what it is. And what you were saying, Kavitha, with the strings that kind of the implicit Uh, explicit type of relationships, let's be honest, that we have is we can't piss off these people too much because we depend upon them for our, you know, 60% of our budget that is doing good work for the arts or for healthcare, right? We can't piss them off too much because they control the newspaper. We can't piss them off too much because the government is not spending the money to upkeep our libraries or these institutions or these festivals. We rely upon the 14 billionaires, right? So power, influence, control. And, you know, Anand has this good book. I don't know if you've read it. You know, Anand Giridharadas. Oh, yeah. That's a great book. Yeah. Yeah, You're talking about the faith washing. You know, they do, quote, unquote, philanthropy to get away from actually changing the structural policies that will create more equity. I don't want to pay more taxes. I don't want to change the structure. The structure benefits me. I'll just do philanthropy and kind of faith, you know, kind of philanthropy wash my way out of this. And, and you know, I also supported Warren. And I think that's why Warren was crushed because a lot of wealthy folks who are Democrats, some of my friends said Warren would be terrible for us because Warren <laughs> out of all of them is like, this is a structural problem. You can't philanthropy your way out of this. You need to pay your damn taxes. Yeah. Well, she also makes the point, which I think is a good point. A lot of people, lose. you know, the, 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 the response of capitalists and free marketers is you need the incentives in order to make the great society we have and so you shouldn't overtax these people. But of course, how much incentives do we need? You can't spend $10 billion. There's like a point at which it's all just for something else. And it's psychotic that we go and let people you know, accumulate $240 billion and not pay a huge portion of it as taxes. And you know, arguably the glory years of the United States in terms of world power, where the 1950s, when the top marginal tax rate was 90%, you know, it was it was a completely different theory the of good the old case. days, the 50s, even David. That's when they yeah, but, when they always say the good old days. I'm like, yeah, you mean the 1950s when there was a, like <laughs> insanely high tax rate, and that's why the government was able to like you know invest. Well, exactly, exactly. We were talking about this uh, this kind of strange social setup where there are these people with ridiculous sums of money that mm. determine who gets to be elected, who gets to run for president, That's who right. gets to have a hospital, 
And now they want to determine, and you know, this is the punchline of this whole thing. Uh, maybe I'll pick this up with you, watch. But but they, 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 now they want to like determine who gets to speak publicly and what the rules are for our public conversations. And you know, Musk is like, well, I'm for free speech, but that's not actually what he's for. He's for being allowed to shout fire in a crowded theater. The reason, by the way, that you know it's up to him is our Congress doesn't want to do anything in the way of regulating this giant industry because they want the dough. You know, they want the cash for the donations. They're they're afraid of them. Anyway, that's my view. What's your view? No, I mean, you look. I take the enemies of democracy literally and seriously. So I pay attention to Steve Bannon because when Steve Bannon, unlike most folks, he's like a really convenient Bond villain who tells you the plot. Like he'll tell everyone. He, he, he like you know it's like he he tells you like in the first five minutes before the the credits with the dancing golden ladies. He's like no 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 let's, let's not waste time James Bond. Let me tell you exactly how I plan on taking over. And he said openly that the media is the enemy, not the Democrats. Flood the zone with shit. And keep them confused and the media will just pick up like dogs on the, the latest, you know, crisis and they'll move on and we normalize this stuff. And finally, he took Barack Obama just a couple of days ago to give the speech, David, where he's like, hey, we need to fight disinformation. And so now the EU is like, OK, we got to crack down and, and you social media companies need to do better because we have witnessed that thanks to these companies and lack of regulation that you're talking about where Congress has been toothless. But others like Elizabeth Warren have been very, very vocal about it. You know, you've seen an increase in genocide, hate crimes, disinformation, the erosion of democracy. And the people who are behind it are strongmen and authoritarians who also happen to be billionaires. And so I'm sure when you get a guy like Elon Musk, when you see people who are free speech absolutists, it's all BS. Because once you actually look at their track record, what you see are often very fickle men who want free speech for them less speech for others. I want the right to say whatever I want against whomever I want without any repercussions. I don't want young woke college kids to do a hashtag. I don't want to be criticized. And how dare you bring this, my own words up against me and challenge me on a panel. You're supposed to worship me. You saw all these people who complain about safe spaces, like the Barry Weisses and the other guy who writes for the New York Times. But then you end up realizing that they're the ones canceling everyone. That like it's it's always like tit for tat. It's like amazing. The people who whine the most about cancel culture culture are the ones who cancel everyone. Example: Trump. So you're seeing a fickle ego that again wants power and control. I have the right, like a bully, to say anything I want. I can punch down against the mentally challenged, the poor, women, black people, gay people, Muslims, and your job is to take it. Well, but this is also super naive about the, the far right in the United States, because they will take advantage of that situation. Of course. And they will weaponize it as a yes. way to blow up democracy. And I've just this is just the perfect way for me to piss off everybody who's listening, Kavita. But when Barack Obama like pops up and says, yeah, I'm going to talk about this now, eight years late, 10 years late. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, there's a crisis in democracy. Maybe I'll give a speech on that in three years. I mean, like, what the heck? There should be alarms going off everywhere. Everybody who has David, any I agree power. With you. And to oh. do it at Stanford, I'm, I mean, again, it seems like I'm obsessed with Stanford. I'm not. It just happens that it's not, it's not lost on me that these are all kind of these, we're reinforcing these same circles of power right. by doing it in this, like, let me have a very kind of like academic approach with this long speech and here are my excerpts of my speech. And now this is going to be 
what my foundation like dedicates its time to. Well, thanks a lot. Like we we could have used this not just eight years ago, ten years ago. The disinformation. You and I have talked about this, David. Watch it. You you've covered this in some of your previous articles. This has started. This has systematically been done right. for decades. And and we're not talking. I wanted to ask both of you. We're not talking enough about the dynamic and kind of the downstream dynamic this has in the media because of this like oversensitivity to inclusion, exclusion, we've done nothing to give a voice for those topics which have had zero air kind of time. I know Mehdi Hassan has covered India and some of what's been bubbling up. Rana Ayub, who's been on our mm. podcast before, we have spent so much time talking about Elon Musk and Marjorie Taylor Greene's press conference about how she's not going to, you know, going to be released back onto Twitter. We haven't talked about kind of the systematic oppression in communication or the lack of media coverage about what's happening to Muslims around the world during like Ramadan and how this is playing out with democracy yeah, or, or shell or, democracy in India and the effects in America. Not so great in Pakistan so either. I just want to be, you know, equal time there. But nor nor have we uh, talked about how the world's real richest man, who's not actually Elon Musk, but is Vladimir Putin launched a war that's going to cast half the world into famine for the second half of this year. They're preparing for it. And I was at State Farm the other day and they know it's coming. You know, there's mm. going to be a recession. There's going to be a food shortage. Ukraine provided a huge amount of food for the world. People are starting to hoard it. The Chinese are hoarding fertilizer. You know, people are not. They see it coming. But we don't talk about that because we're talking about this. I'd like to talk about it a little bit more. This is the point in the podcast where we take a little bit of a break and I say bye-bye to the folks who are in the public who are listening and say the rest of this conversation is for our uh, members only. And if you want to be part of it, easy to become a member, less than the price of, I don't know, a latte per month. Go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. You can be a member and I hope you will. Our membership ranks are growing rapidly and we're coming up with new great things for members. For the rest of you, thanks a lot. For the members, stand by. We'll be back in a minute. 